Let me give you just a couple of updates so that you can be praying with us. This coming Thursday evening is the meeting, the monthly meeting of the Board of Directors for PASNAS, and just to let you know, I will be bringing the name and the person into board meeting next uh, Thursday evening that I am recommending to the board to serve us as the pastor of families with children. Uh, just pray for her, will you? Pray for the board. Also yesterday, the Finance and Personnel Committee and I conducted an interview with a candidate for the position of executive pastor. And so we are in prayerful consideration of this individual, and we will have more conversation with that person this week, and it may be that we'll have an interview with them in the next couple of weeks. So continue to pray as we move forward here and as God provides for us. We're getting closer to filling some of the open positions that we have, and so may God go with us in these days as God makes provision for us. In our sermon series, The Stories, we've been making our way through the Old Testament. And last Sunday, we came to the book of Proverbs, one of the three books of wisdom, Job, Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes. And this morning, we come to the book of Ecclesiastes. And I, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes. I wonder how many of you, how many of you have ever read the book of Ecclesiastes? Many of you have. It is a, an outstanding book. It is outstanding in its perspective. And you will notice this morning that I have titled the sermon, Welcome the Skeptic. Now, I am aware that some of us are more prone to skepticism than others. And some of us even move beyond skepticism into cynicism. I won't call out any names but I know that within my own personhood, I have a strong bent towards cynicism and skepticism. But the word of the Lord today brings to us the hope of the wisdom of the right kind of skepticism. Let's read from Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, and I'm reading from the Common English. Bible. The words of the teacher of the assembly, David's son, king in Jerusalem. Perfectly pointless, says the teacher. Perfectly pointless. Everything is pointless. Some things are inevitable. What do people gain from all the hard work that they do, that they work so hard at under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains as it always has. The sun rises, the sun sets. It returns panting to the place where it dawns. The wind blows to the south, goes around to the north. Around and around blows the wind. The wind returns to its rounds again. All streams flow to the sea, but the sea is never full. To the place where the rivers flow, where they continue to flow. All words are tiring. No one is able to speak. The eye isn't satisfied with seeing, neither is the ear filled up by hearing. Whatever has happened, that's what will happen again. Whatever has occurred, that's what will occur again. There's nothing new under the sun. 
People may say about something, look at this, it's new, but it was already around for ages before us. There's no remembrance of things in the past nor of things to come in the future. Neither will there be any remembrance among those who come along in the future. Well, and so I say to us this morning, welcome the skeptic. Doesn't that opening passage just blush your bones? Pointless is the word used in the Common English Bible. Vanities is the word used by the New Revised Standard Version in the King James Bible. Meaningless is the word used in the New International Version. Perhaps it would be helpful for us to understand that the Hebrew word for each of those words is hevel, meaning vapor or smoke. So if we were to go back and read this passage and replace those words with the idea of vapor or smoke, we begin to get a glimpse into the mind of the skeptic because it was with such forceful and visual imagery that the self-described teacher opens the book of Ecclesiastes confronting us with his skepticism about life. But given the unusual title of the sermon this morning, it might be well for us to explore some of the meanings of skepticism that are possible. A simple definition would be to say that skepticism is the attitude of doubting claims of knowledge and experience. I have a friend um, who I've known for 46 years. And I learned a long time ago that when uh, my friend and I begin to have a discussion, a discourse, a dialogue, or even a debate. No matter what I say, this friend will say, I don't believe that. And so after about five years of this kind of discourse, I just decided it was pointless. But some people are bent that way with the strong attitude of doubting claims of knowledge and experience. For example, how many of you have ever doubted a weather report? <laughs> the weather person on the TV or perhaps your smartphone weather app may have forecast large amounts of rain and you planned accordingly only to have nothing happen. Or it was the other way. There was nothing forecast and something happened. And so when the weather forecaster on your TV gets up and says, yada, 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 how many of you respond skeptically? Hands, please. Oh, come on. I'm skeptical about your skepticism. <laughs> but it is our accumulated experience with the accuracy of weather forecasts that may have made us skeptical about the accuracy of the forecast. Skepticism is an important enough way of thinking that it forms an entire branch of philosophy that reveals different degrees of skepticism from the simple, simple skepticism of the teacher of Ecclesiastes, which raises doubts about the truth of some claims, all the way to total skepticism, which challenges the validity of any proposition until it can be proven to be 100% accurate with rational, quantifiable data. Skepticism within the field of philosophies 
in all of the degrees believes that some things are impossible to know, to know absolutely like the existence of God, or is there life after death? Because to many skeptics, such ideas are so subjective in nature, if there's no way to know, why commit, why believe? Given our definition of skepticism, the teacher of Ecclesiastes assumes the voice of simple skepticism to challenge the common notions of secular values that have been a part of human existence since the beginning of time. The experiences the skeptical teacher speaks of are as common today as they were when Ecclesiastes was written somewhere between 900 and 200 BC. But the obvious question for me is why should we welcome the voice of the skeptical teacher of Ecclesiastes into our presence and into our awareness? Is it possible that given the nature of repeated human experience that those who have gone before us may have some wisdom that is worthwhile to us today? After all, if the skeptical teacher were here in this room today, they would tell us that you and I are probably having many of the same experiences his people were experiencing hundreds of years before Christ. It is important for us to take note that when the teacher writes this book and challenges these secularist views of values, that it is part of the great wisdom tradition of the ancient Middle East. In other words, the teacher's knowledge is not simply from wisdom accumulated in Israel, but it's also from knowledge accumulated across cultures, across countries, across geographic boundaries, and have found this to be common experience. And so the teacher's data set is large and varied and covers a lot of geographic territory and human experience over thousands of years. In such a way that the message of Ecclesiastes still resonates powerfully to us today if we will hear it as wisdom literature, as a source of hope for us, that it can be if we receive it in the way that it is intended. If you still have your Bibles open to Ecclesiastes, and if you don't, let me invite you to reopen them. Let's take a look at nine main topics covered through the book of Ecclesiastes. In chapter one, verse 12, the teacher says, wisdom is pointless. In other words, wisdom is a vapor. It can be like smoke. And the teacher here is not discounting the value of wisdom, but what the teacher is saying is wisdom has its limitations. If we were to go back in the book of Proverbs this morning and look at a number of the Proverbs, we would find that as wise as they are, they still have some limitations to them. They are right most of the time, but they are not perfectly right 100% of the time. They are a good way to live life by, but they're not a perfect way to live life by because they're written out of human experience. 
In chapter 2, verse 1, the teacher says, pleasure is pointless. And if we were to read all the way through the book of Ecclesiastes on the subject of pleasure, we would find that there are occasions in which the teacher says, it's pointless, but if you have the opportunity, you should enjoy it every once in a while. In chapter 2, verse 17, the teacher says, work is pointless. Toil is pointless. It is like a vapor. It is like a smoke. It is here today. It is gone tomorrow. And the question really isn't to say, don't work. But rather, how much value and how much effort and how much energy and how much focus should work take in one's life? In chapter 4, verse 4, the teacher says, Achievement is pointless. If you visit my office, and if I were to visit some of your offices, some of you would have plaques and mementos of different awards and things that you've been given over time for various efforts and services. And all they are now is a memory. It is vapor. You cannot build an eternal life on achievement. In chapter 4, verse 13, the teacher says advancement is pointless. In chapter 5, verse 8, the teacher says riches are pointless. And makes a very important note. As if to say, remember that all of the riches you gain someday are going to belong to someone else. And do you really want them belonging to that someone else? And will they treat them and care for them in the way that you did? For after all, it was your toil, your work, your achievement that accumulated those, and now you are gone, and your riches are like vapor because they're no longer under your oversight. In chapter 6, verse 1, the teacher underscores that and says, someone else will enjoy your gain. In chapter 8, verse 14, the righteous who get what the wicked deserve and the wicked who get what the righteous deserve reminds us of the reality that there are righteous people who never enjoy what they deserve to enjoy and yet there are wicked people who enjoy all that the righteous should be able to enjoy. And in chapter 9, verse 2, is the capstone of the argument. We all share a common destiny. Anyone want to guess what it is? Death. And life, as the psalmist reminds us, and other writers remind us, it's like the grass that withers away. It is gone. We were reminded of the frailty of life in our home in the middle of March. When Joan experienced massive bilateral pulmonary embolism. And I was unable to arouse her 
as quickly as I might. Sometimes she does not pay attention to me. This was not the time to do that. And in that moment, I thought I had lost her. She's here today, doing well, making progress. Thanks be to God. Still does not always listen to me. So she's returned to full mind, full health. And we do appreciate all of your prayers. But I just say that to say this. I was reminded of the frailty of life. And I fully recognize as I tell that story, not everyone in this room had the same outcome. Some of us have lost loved ones tragically, unexpectedly, and then had the same outcome. And we are reminded of our common destiny. Derek Kidner observes that these middle chapters of Ecclesiastes are a searching criticism of self-sufficiency. If there is one truth I wish we could take away today from the book of Ecclesiastes is that Ecclesiastes is skeptical about self-sufficiency. In other words, my determination to make my own way for my own purposes. In other words, read this book as a stand against a secular view of life which seeks its value in work, achievement, advancement, pleasure, riches, and gain. Another reason to welcome the skeptical teacher in our midst is to receive the teaching about the unfairness of life. The evil have long life, but the righteous do not. Some are blessed with riches, others are not. The skeptical teacher implores us, implores us not to lose our way with God when life does not treat us fairly. I want to be really careful here, and, and um, I'm going to get out on some thin ice here with some of you I know. But it is an easy thing to blame God when life does not go the way we thought. What the teacher says to us is, life itself is just that way. It isn't an activity of God because life itself is that way. It has been proven to be that way ever since the dawn of creation. And so the teacher implores us, implores us, not to lose our way with God when life is unfair. A third reason to welcome the skeptical teacher is to let him remind us of the fleeting nature of life itself. It is vapors here today and gone tomorrow. How often have some of us said, how, do I get, how did I get to this age so quickly? Anybody want to testify? Anybody ever look over your shoulder and say, where did it go?
As most of you know, I had my 70th birthday in April. We gathered our family. My family, for some reason, thinks that any of my birthdays that end in zero are an important time to gather. <clears throat> so we gathered together, rented a place, 14 of us, six grandchildren, eight adults. What a great time. And I sat there watching those children, praying over those children, that God would be with them and make provision for them in the same measure, in the same way God has done so for me, for us. For I have no idea what the hard road of life will bring them in their futures, but I'm confident that God would be faithful if they would so choose to let God be faithful to go with them into tomorrow. One of my friends likes to say, you'll remember this, trust me. One of my friends like to say, time is like the roll of a toilet paper. The closer it gets to the end, the faster it rolls. <laughs> that being the case, the skeptical teacher's counsel is for us to think well about how best to spend our time given what little of it we truly have. In other words, it is valuable and hopeful to reflect upon the values that we are giving our life to and how the vapor of time and life is to be lived. There's hope in that for us, friends. The fourth reason to welcome the skeptical teacher is to receive a biblical voice of God to help us stay focused on what matters. If we were to view Ecclesiastes through a New Testament framework, the skeptical teacher would point us to stories such as the folly of the rich man and his barns. You may remember this story. The rich man said, I will build this barn and that barn. I will increase my wealth. I will do all of these things. And the Lord came to the rich man and said, tonight your soul will be required of you. Or the parable of the wise man who built his house upon the rock and the foolish man who built his house upon the sand. Those are stories that Jesus gave to us to remind us of what matters. And if we were to view this book through the lens of the New Testament, we would find that Jesus Christ, as Jesus lived out life, lived a life that questioned the secular view of life. It is what got Jesus in trouble. It would be helpful to us to see the life of Jesus and the, the teaching of Jesus as a life of resistance against the secular flow of life that seeks to gather us up in its value system and to own us and, be, and which can become an honorable distraction from the things of God that really matter. There is hope for us in that view of the skeptical teacher. For the skeptical teacher, there are more important things in a biblical life than accumulating wealth or gaining advancement or seeking pleasure. 
Fifth, the teacher enriches our understanding of what it means to fear God. The book of Ecclesiastes opens with an introductory prologue in chapter 1, verses 1 to 2, and then gives us 12 chapters of teaching and a conclusion to the book, a summary of the book, if you will, from chapter 12, verses 9 to 14, with chapter 13, with verse 13, getting to the solution of this teacher's skepticism. When the teacher says, fear God and keep his commandments. The teacher enriches our understanding of God as if to say, given the fleeting, vaporous nature of life, full of its distracting value systems, understand this. In the words of Roland Martin, God is in heaven, you are on earth, so let your words be few. In short, God is dangerous for humans to deal with in a casual way. Therefore, fear God and keep his commandments. It is the only way to live fruitfully and well in the face of disappointments that life will bring our way. It struck me that Ecclesiastes ends where Proverbs begins. Fear God. On Wednesday night, we have a discussion about last Sunday morning's sermon, and we gathered last Wednesday night for those who want to talk about the sermon and what I didn't say or what I should have said or what I could have said or why did I say what I said or what did I mean when I said this or that. It's a great discussion. We had quite a discussion last Wednesday night about, about the fear of God. You may remember last Sunday I said there are two dimensions of the fear of God. There is that frightening fear when, we're encountered, when we've encountered God's holiness, which reveals our own limitations. And then there is that reverential fear. And during our discussion, it was noted that perhaps in our society today, is it possible that our society has so shaped our understanding of the fear of God that we no longer fear God? That even our sense of reverence and awe is diluted because we haven't understood what it means to fear God. a deep abiding reverential fear of God that's rooted in the idea that God is in heaven and I'm on earth. That God has a different view of life and values than I do would serve the church well. As we look into the future, as we look at life, as we look at what has been valued and what should be valued and could be valued, after all of the teacher's skepticism and with the teacher's solution to fear God, what are we left with? I would suggest to us that we are left with hope that is rooted in our reverential fear of God. Hope that is rooted in the wisdom and provision of God over my own attempts at provision. Why does that matter, you say? I'm doing okay. Everything is fine. I cannot tell you how many times I've had people say to me, and Joan and I are in a conversation like this with a couple right now, 
we have done all of this. We have provided all of this. Our children don't have time for us. Our children don't care for us. We've achieved this. We have money. We have wealth. We have achievement. We have advancement. We have status. But our children... And that's just one flavor of the conversation. Or men who say to me, I have worked hard and yet I barely know my wife. You may remember in 1974, Harry Chapin wrote his song, The Cat's in the Cradle. Most of you are old enough to know that song. Cat's in the cradle with a silver spoon. And goes on to tell the tale of a son who does not benefit from his father's time. And so when the son grows up, the son has no time for the father. There are too many stories of life that end with some version of cats in the cradle because we have embraced a secularist view of what matters and what values. And here's the hope, friends. It's not too late. It's not too late to embrace the fear of God for the fear of God would say, let me teach you what matters. Let me teach you about the kingdom of God. Let me teach you about how to live in your community. Let me teach you let me show you. Let me provide for you. Here is what achievement looks like in the kingdom of heaven. It looks like living and caring for those who don't look like you, think like you, act like you, live like you, achieve like you. It is opening the doors of the church to people who don't dress like us, think like us. Those who've been far less fortunate than us, those who have needs that we're uncertain how to provide, but we would say we'll learn how to do that. The skeptic of the teacher offers hope to us because the skeptic of the teacher is to resist the secularist values in the reverential fear of the Lord and say, oh God, what is it you would have for me? How would you have me to live? How would you have me give my life? And to whom should I give my life? There's hope in that. For it is the hope rooted in the fear of God who calls us into the kingdom of God to bring the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. The posture of resistance, the posture of skepticism is an invitation to question the values of secular world and to examine whether or not that has invaded our own values and robbed us of the provision of God in the presence of God. In that question, in that seeking, there is hope for us. And if you have been blessed and if you have achievement and if you have wealth, And may you dedicate it to God's good purpose instead of your own.
For the invitation of a skeptic is to live lives of kingdom hope in reverential fear of God. And calls us to remember the life of Christ who lived a life of questioning the ways of the world. For they are the questions that bring hope to us as we root ourselves in the fear of the Lord. And so I leave you with this. Are there any questions you and I should be asking ourselves? May the Holy Spirit of God speak to us in hope through the words of the skeptical teacher. Let's stand together. Would you receive this benediction? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. And everyone said, amen. God bless you. Go in hope.